turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Friend, when you are looking to the eyes of Jesus Christ as Savior and friend, you cannot be destroyed by the one who went to the cross for you. You cannot be destroyed by the one that you humble up to and you are broken before. I don't care what your sin has been in the past. I don't care how bad you messed up. The church doesn't need to know all this. Let it be between you and God. That's Pastor Michael Oxentanko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Keep this telephone number in mind throughout today's broadcast, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time. Once again, that phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled, When the Many Don't Matter. That's When the Many Don't Matter, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Let's get underway. Here is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko, with today's Reaching Your Heart. Without being connected in to a faith fellowship that's prayerfully minded, you're going to have a hard time getting to heaven. If you aren't a part of one, become a part of one. Find a way, and we can have more of these in the church. It's healthy and grand when it occurs in that way. Jesus said in Matthew eighteen twenty, For where two or three are gathered in my name, what does he say next? There am I in the midst of them. You want Christ? You do that. I would be amiss if we didn't talk about 9 o'clock right here at Cedar Ridge. We meet a half an hour before everything happens here. And I'm telling you, I'm growing from that experience. I'm seeing myself more honestly in that prayer session. And we're praying for our congregation. And there's a love in that group. You can feel it. So find something like that. Come early, I would encourage you. Or tap into one of these other groups. Or start one of your own and experience what I'm saying. Friend, if you want to find the Lord to face down your fears, you need to seek the Lord seriously with godly fear. Humble yourself seriously. And seriously seek and find Him in the congregation that prays like you do for His presence in the church. Whether it's a small prayer group or a mighty congregation of prayer, the Lord is in the midst. When you find God this way, the many don't matter anymore that are coming against you because God is always mightier than the many. Look at verse 6. And Jehoshaphat said, O Lord, God of our fathers, art thou not God in heaven? Dost thou not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? In thy hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee. Now this is basic stuff. This is the stuff we should latch on to. The king is saying that God has the power to win the battle every time in your life. Right? Okay. If you can't win against the enemy because you're weak and they are many then turn to the God who can win every time. So the right kind of insurance policy is the right kind of relationship with the God who wins. We need to hear a lot less about strong men and strong women in the church and a lot more about a mighty and strong God who is able to save us. 
with a mighty God, then many don't matter. In verse 5, the text says that Jehoshaphat took his stand in the house of God before the new court. I was curious, is that a mistranslation? I looked it up in the Hebrew. It's right on. Literally, the Hebrew says the new court. What on earth is the new court? Why is this expression being used? You see, Jehoshaphat is not famous for being innovative. He's famous for being faithful. But he's innovative in this one way that makes all the difference in his kingdom. He took a nation that didn't know how to turn to the Lord. And he led the way for them to return. So in that sense, he was innovative. He was innovative in his prayer life. He was innovative in humbling himself. And he was innovative in getting on his knees and getting everyone else on their knees. Even if they had no immediate memory of how it was done, he did it anyway. And so the court is called the new court because when men and women get right with God, they humble up and seek the Lord. It is always a new work in the world that comes from God. That's why I'm saying, you know, whatever God did for reaching hearts in the past, forget about it. What matters is what He's going to do in the future. We need to come to the new court and focus on God's leading for us in the future. We can talk about the past and eternity. I want to look out and find new people to bring to Christ, new ventures of evangelism, new exciting horizons we've never thought about that God leads us to envision, a school outreach that we've never envisioned in our new church, among many other things. And so the court is called the new court because when men and women get right with God, God does a new work in the world. At the end of time, facing down the whole world in the mark of the beast issue, in Revelation 14, 3, the righteous who keep the commandments of God and of the faith of Jesus, the Bible says they sing a new song before the Lord. I mean, here is God's Advent people, obedient to the Word of God. And they're not talking about the pioneers. You hear me? They're talking about what God has just done, the new and mighty works of God. Now, I'm grateful for pioneers. But I want to look to the future. I want to stand on Mount Zion, on the sea of glass, singing a new song before the Lord. In the new court, Jehoshaphat reminds God of an old truth as he praised him. Look at Second Chronicles 20, verse 7. Didst thou not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and give it over to the descendants of Abraham thy friend? And they have dwelt in it and have built in it a sanctuary for thy name, saying, If evil comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before thee, for thy name is in this house, and cry to thee in our affliction, and thou wilt hear and save. Jehoshaphat reminds God that Abraham was his friend, and any and everyone who seeks God like Abraham, it is implied, becomes a friend of God. In the providence and plan of God, almighty wisdom and power has established the holy sanctuary, not as a house of worship only, but as a bulwark against evil, a place for chains to be broken, for freedom to occur, and for the enemy, when he comes to the sanctuary, he goes no further, because God's sanctuary is a fortress of protection for his people. If you are weak... And some will say, well, maybe I'm not weak. And others will say, I'm weak. I'm in the weak camp, okay? How many of you in the weak camp? A few of you? I'm in the weak camp. And you can't stand on your own feet today. I can't stand on my own feet today. Friend, then flee to the sanctuary where there's safety for you in the presence of God. If you struggle with fear and temptations, and I do, 
And the enemies have set their armies of evil to destroy you and your family. Remember that God's name is found in the sanctuary. Friend, if you can't save yourself and you feel the snare of Satan strong in your life, fall on your knees in the sanctuary and the mighty God of the name will hear you and save you. And so they took their stand that day in the house of God before the new court to call on the old God of power to perform a new work for His people in the present crisis. The innovator in the story is God, not the people. In verse 10, Jehoshaphat points out the problem to the powerful, innovative God who can solve any problem. He reminds the mighty God that He spared the king of Ammon. He spared Moab and Mount Seir when the children of Israel came into the promised land under Moses. He reminds God that He caused His people at that time to inherit the land, that the land belongs to God, and that this threat from the side here is an unjust threat, and that God must intervene to save His people. And so he was the proponent of the ancient truth of a personal and powerful God, not the present dilution of a theory of personal power without God. Second Chronicles 20, verse 12, he said, O oh, our God, wilt thou not execute judgment upon them? For we are what? What does he say? Powerless. Against this great multitude that is coming against us, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. I like that prayer. The Bible says of the Philadelphian church that will see Jesus return. It says, you have had but little power, but you have not denied my name. See, God's not looking at you to be so impressive that you can look great in the church or to others. God's looking at you to humble up and realize you need His power and His wisdom to get you through the difficulties of your life. When you are in trouble with the many in your life and you don't have to be wise in the wiles of war, or the ways of the world to win the war. You don't have to be smart with the sinister to administer victory. You don't have to be innovative with the enemy to overcome hostility. The king said, we are powerless, but God is not like us. He has the power, friend. Instead of looking at the enemy who is coming to destroy you in your life, the king is reminding God that our eyes are upon thee. Friend, when you are looking to the eyes of Jesus Christ as Savior and friend, you cannot be destroyed by the one who went to the cross for you. You cannot be destroyed by the one that you humble up to and you are broken before. I don't care what your sin has been in the past. I don't care how bad you messed up. The church doesn't need to know all this. Let it be between you and God. You come to Christ. You look into that eye. You're broken at the foot of the cross. That's where you're mended. And Jesus holds you. He's going to get you through if you do this. So they stood that day. And how were they successful in the new court of God? In verse 13, the text reads that all the men of Judah stood before the Lord. But they didn't stand alone that day. They stood with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Fathers, babies, wives, and children took their stand for God that day as a spiritual army. I mean, your family isn't some disjointed thing going this way and that way like the sitcom family of the American media. God has called your family together to take their stand for Christ. So children, get your parents to Sabbath school on time. You with me? I mean, there's no excuse for this. You get here on time, you open up your Bibles on time. And you come early to pray and you'll automatically be on time. But I'm not browbeating you. I'm admonishing you. Because I love you. So don't take it wrong. 
We need to have revival in our families, and God can do this. Your family needs to be an army for good, not just a coasting clan that has no impact on the world around you. Take your stand for Jesus Christ. So they stood that day, family units. When revival comes to the church, revival comes to the family unit that seeks Christ. At this point, the Spirit of God was manifest in the congregation in a powerful way, not by hooting and hollering, not by gesticulating with religious gestures. It was manifested by the witness of the prophets, the Holy Scriptures in the midst of the people of God. Second Chronicles 20, verse 14. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Hearken all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Fear not and be not dismayed at this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Huge statement. There are times we think that we are the ones who have to win the war with evil in our life. But the prophets remind us, see, it's not human wisdom here. It's God's Word. You are listening to Reaching Your Heart. More with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. A reminder, we are a listener-funded ministry. We do appreciate your support. If you can help us out with a financial contribution, here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can also find us on the web at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. We appreciate you listening. Don't forget, at the end of today's broadcast, we have a special book for you. We'd love to be able to give that to you, so stay tuned to find out more about that at the close of today's Reaching Your Heart. Here he is, Pastor Mike, once again. The prophets remind us from the Scriptures that we are minor players in a great controversy between good and evil. In fact, the war is really against God. And the great protagonist and antagonist, they stand over and against us. Without God, we don't make it through the war. So God must win the battle, as Martin Luther said, and God must win the war, as we know inside our hearts. They speak too. The text says, Be not dismayed at this great multitude. For the battle is the Lord's. Friend, fear comes when you think that you are on your own and God is not with you anymore. That's when it settles in. When you feel this huge gap between you and God. And what gets in the way is sin. You know you've messed up. And you just don't feel like there's something for you. Well, guess what? There is. God reconciles you. The cross is not a fable. It's a fact. That infinite love was poured out. I was just at a bank this week talking to one of my bankers. And I don't have a lot of money, but I bank. Okay, You're probably like me. But I linger there. And we begin to talk about the cross of Christ. You say, well, Pastor Mike, why would you talk about the cross of Christ to your banker? Because my banker needs to know Christ. So why not? We're talking about, talking about the love of God. You know, how can you put all this infinite love into God? You know Is God really a moral being? How do we know this? Well, the only way we can know is if God can give. If you can give, then you can be a moral, loving being, right? But how can an infinite being do this? And then we all agreed that the cross of Christ is proof that a powerful, omnipotent God can pour His heart out. And love becomes tears and blood mingled on a crimson cross. And the deity becomes revealed in the glory that shines from Calvary. And yes, God can exercise self-renouncing love to save the universe and the world. 
I mean, that's huge. That's what we're talking about. Friend, I can't do that. I can't win the war, but God can win the war. The text says, be not dismayed at this great multitude, for the battle is the Lord's. Friend, fear comes when you think that the Lord's not with you. Jesus died on that cross to make it so, so that you can be with God. The message of the Bible is a message of love. A love that is so deep and profound that if you are deceived, you turn your back on love that forgave you at the cross of Calvary. If you're not walking with God, then yeah, your enemies can overcome you. But if you seek God in the right way, broken at the cross, then you are not on your own and the battle is not yours to win. The prophet continues in verses 16 and 17. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Take your position, stand still, and see the victory of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, and be not dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. And that's what they did. They fell down and they worshipped God that day. The king led the way and the people followed him. And they went out from the house of the Lord and they left the new court to see the mighty and new work that God would perform in their lives. That day fear was replaced with worship and surrender that helped the quivering ear to hear the active call of God to move forward in faith and service. The text says in verse 20, they rose early in the morning. No sleeping in that day. Because everyone was anxious to see God perform the new work in their lives. They got up early to move forward in faith with God, to worship God. And they came to the wilderness of Tekoa to see it happen. The word Tekoa means a stockade. They were now acting out the history of ancient Israel all over again. They were in the wilderness like Moses and Israel were in the wilderness. They were following King Jehoshaphat like he was the new Moses. And he spoke like Moses. Look at Second Chronicles 20 verse 20. Jehoshaphat stood and said... Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and what does it say? You shall prosper. Do you want to succeed in your life? Do you? Has your life been a flop and a failure up to now? Okay, well, do some honest assessment. Maybe the way has been wrong in your life. Then you need to believe in the Lord with all your heart. I'm not talking about some nebulous Lord. I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. There are all kinds of voices out there that will tell you that you can't make it unless you do it yourself. But friend, you can't make it yourself. They will say that the many are too strong and the few too weak for you to make it in the call of God in your life. Don't listen to those people. They will claim that innovation and trickery are necessary to maneuver with a war of wits to make it. Or they will tell you to run and hide from the enemy to survive. Friend, God has not called you to defeat if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Jehoshaphat said, believe the Lord, your God, and you will be established. Now, how do you do that? Let's get practical here. How do you do that? The king continues to speak in the text. He says, believe his prophets and you will prosper. We're standing at a time in the Christian church, in Christian history, when great theologians have wrecked Christianity in this country. When preachers who do not submit to the Bible have wrecked the culture of this country. We are standing at a time in the Christian church where there's a great need before us to surrender to the power and the authority of the Holy Scriptures in this country. 
the emerging church movement of our time, which started right here in this building, is a movement that denies the power of the Word of God in the modern era and the Christian community. There have been conferences in our world church that have used these very individuals to re-script their vision. They have left the Scriptures to do this. It is a faithless movement. The fruits of it are clear that is not true to the ancient faith of God's Word. Much of what claims to be the work of the Holy Spirit in our day, friend, is the work of another spirit because it does not submit to the authority of the Bible and the prophets. Friend, if you want the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, do you want the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? I want the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Then you need to humble up and surrender to the authority of the Word of God in your life. How did it go that day? When they humbled up, they believed the Lord, they submitted themselves to the promises of Scripture. What happened that day? How did it go? That day the nation of Judah became an army of worship and praise. Instead of shooting arrows, throwing spears, and swinging swords, they sang a song of praise and perfect unity and harmony. Harmony that recognized the power of heaven and a changed life motivated by love and not fear. They sang the song of deliverance recorded in Psalms 106 verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for His steadfast love endures forever. They kept on singing it over and over again. And when they began to sing the song, the Bible says the Lord sent an ambush against the men of Ammon, the men of Moab, and the men of Mount Seir. They were routed as the choir sang on with the sacred song ringing loud His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. And then the men of Ammon turned against the men of Moab and the men of Mount Seir, and they destroyed them. And then they turned against each other, and they were destroyed by each other. And when the battle was over, the men of Judah climbed the watchtower, and they looked out over the wilderness, and the enemy of the many had become dead bodies lying on the ground that day. Not a single weapon had been fired at them. God had brought them down. Verse 24 says of the many, no one escaped. That day the many became none. And the few became the many that turned their hearts toward God and saw the victory of God in a new kind of way. Worship at the new court resulted in a new kind of victory. It took three days to gather the spoils of war before the smell set in. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, which means blessing, and they blessed the name of the Lord right there. And the writer of this record tells us very clearly that it is called that name, the name of blessing, to this very day. And what happened to the few who had become the many in place of the none? What happened? Second Chronicles 20, verse 27. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, And Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Jehoshaphat had reminded God that Abraham was the friend of God. Notice the personal nature of Jehoshaphat's relationship with God as he grew, as he grew in this whole ordeal to know God like Abraham did. Look at verse 30. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. Friend, when you let the Lord fight 
the battles in your life, when you seek him and you humble up in your life, God becomes more than just God. The Lord becomes your God. And your God will save you on the last day. For there's grace and mercy and power to save. And in those eyes, the grace will see you and find you on the last day when Jesus returns to take you into glory. Father, we can't be joyful ourselves. We can't make the heart right with you. Lift us in the love of God as we are broken at the cross, as we face the ugliness of our lives. Lift us in the love of God to not look at a brother or sister, but look at Jesus and see the eyes that forgive us. And Father, I pray for the person who needs power to be delivered. May they not focus on being a great Christian. May they focus on the great Christ who saves. And Father, thank you that you're not done with us. That if we have a disappointment here or there, it's to teach us to rely on the one who has the power. Grant your people, Father, the living Christ from this place and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. We are a listener-supported ministry and would love for you to partner with us as we continue to present Christ-centered biblical truths of Scripture in practical and relevant ways. Call us right now at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. And if you do call right now for a donation of any size, Pastor Mike would like to give you a book entitled Satisfied, How God Can Meet your deepest needs. Visit the website reachingyourheart.com to find out more about this ministry, Reaching Your Heart, and Pastor Michael Oxentenko. That's reachingyourheart.com. If you do have the means to bless us with a little larger gift of $500 to $1,000, it would particularly help us right now to continue to bring you these messages on this station. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can donate right there on the website, reachingyourheart.com. 888-244-HOPE. Thanks for listening. And as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.